All right, welcome to the Porter Tonecast, episode 31. Today we're going to ha- be having a great conversation with Chris Murray from Idaho Flyer Amps. He's a local amp builder, and uh, we've been kind of teasing that we were going to do an amp month, and then the summer hit and everything blew up, so we haven't been able to do much amp stuff and amp features other than just when we talked about our own favorite amps and kind of the the things we like about certain amps. So. We're excited to dive in a little bit deeper with an amp conversation with Chris, a uh, local guy, builds some great amps, and uh, he's got a lot of, he's been through a lot of amps, and so we're looking forward to that conversation. We just want to mention, too, the, make sure to subscribe on iTunes if you haven't yet, um, rate the show if you would, that helps us get additional views and, and things like that, and also, uh, if you go to the porterpickups.com website, then you can go to the community tab. And look for the Tonecast there. You can leave questions and comments and uh, listen to past episodes on there as well. So however you find us, we appreciate you again listening to the Tonecast. Um, As we kind of navigate through the summer here, we'll continue to have some great shows. If you have show topic ideas, please let us know about those if you have questions. We even would love to take some questions that you could send in the audio, and then we could like take your audio and answer the question on air. So a lot of fun things that we could do here. Uh, we wanted to mention, too, that we'll be having some different guests in studio, different employee guests here as well. Um, quick update, too, on the on the shop is um, that Derek is no longer with us, so we're, we're sad to see him go, but um, we, we definitely appreciated his time on the Tonecast, and we'll miss him a lot for sure. Um, but we'll have other guests here. We'll have Brandon and Marco and some of the other guys in the shop uh, jump in and kind of help with topics so it's not just me talking again like I talked about last week. Um, so there's there's a lot of, I, get, I don't get to say how's it going and all the stuff that I used to with Derek, so it's kind of a bummer, but um, hopefully we'll bring that back at some point. Um, yeah, so we're, we're just excited for that. Uh, we're going to go ahead and just jump right into that conversation that we had with Chris, and hopefully you guys will enjoy that. All right, so we're here with Chris Murray from Idaho Flyer Amps. Hey, Chris, how are you? Hey, Brian, how you doing? Not bad. Thanks for joining us today. So we, as we mentioned in the intro, we've been kind of threatening to do some amp discussion throughout the summer, and with the podcast being more scattered, we've we've not been able to do as much amp discussion as we liked. Um, we did a little bit of, uh, you know, hey, this is amps we like, this is that kind of thing. But we wanted to bring like a real amp guy by and actually talk amps with someone that knows more than... <laughs> knows a lot more than we do about AMP. So glad to have you here. Um, Why don't you go ahead and start just kind of telling about your uh, company, Idaho Flyer. Well, you know, Idaho Flyer started uh, of my desire to build basically the perfect uh, Fender Deluxe Reverb. And so um, I got into my Deluxe Reverb and I made it everything you might think a Deluxe Reverb is, and that really wasn't enough. And then I started uh, building other amps. We started doing 5E3s, Princetons, Tweeds, and then Blackfaces. And then we've uh, decided we've go into the um, build some clones. And so we took on an ODS and have built a few of those. And uh, really haven't stopped since. Well, so the Deluxe was kind of your first inspiration to to get into the building world. How did you get started kind of with your first build, if you will? Well, I was uh, in playing with corporate and uh, um, 
professional six-piece bands, and I, I always used the deluxe, and it was it was almost perfect for me. But but then I go, man, you know, it'd really be perfect if it had like a mid-range control and these kind of things. And it, and uh, you know, I started researching all of this, and I put these features in the amp, and soon it became a you know a really workable uh, tool. Gotcha. So you're you're an engineer background, is that correct? I'm an engineer. I've had uh, you know my 20 year corporate uh, experience, I'd like to call it, through a manufacturing company here locally, and that uh, you know certainly gave me the confidence to build anything and see that through. So you're more of you kind of had the the tech knowledge instead of just jumping in and and, because I think about the way I started with pickups I didn't know anything and I just did it and tried to do it but you you probably had a little bit of background knowledge of reading schematics and understanding some of that before you dove in is that correct well it's kind of funny my my dad was the electronics engineer and when I was growing up I was always inspired by him but then when I got to school I became a mechanical engineer and so I kind of had to backfill some of the electronics and electrical experience to dovetail into the mechanical so so it's a pretty broad uh broad background i think from that gotcha so did you start uh as a like modding an existing amp or did you actually go from the ground up to start out i started modding and repairing so so the the deluxe kind of showed people without my really knowing that that uh you know i could do the inside of the amps and so so i was soon doing cap jobs and you know, revoicing amps and doing all that for my friends. And then they talked to their friends and, and I was just modding those amps while I was, a, you know, a full-time engineer. And so that kind of got me started. Very cool. So you kind of just jumped in there. And so did people, when you first started doing repairs and things like that, were people kind of happy with, you know, what you did to their amps? And is that kind of how you're mentioning that sort of steamrolled some of the the momentum, I guess, as you got started building your own designs and things like that. Yeah, people would. Um, pe- the people that I uh, communicate with are are the pros, and they have a specific idea of what their sound should be, and so that they always are searching, or their their sound is always lacking somehow to them, or it's not consistent night to night, and that's what they're trying to solve. So, I have a lot of uh, different tools that have. Um, Collected over the years for Fender amps specifically, and able to um, to solve those problems that they have. Cool, cool. So just kind of uh, finding those little things that need tweaked and just changing those here and there. So you probably have like a library of of mods that you <laughs> kind of can offer, I guess. You think I have a very organized library? I could go there. <laughs> it yeah. in your, it's probably in your head, right? <laughs> a lot of it is my head, and okay. yeah, a couple of good file cabinets. Yeah. Nice. So something we ask all of our guests, and this is something we're really interested in because we're all kind of in the music industry and we all love guitar and instruments. So what was your first guitar? Let's see. I think it was a Tesco Del Rey nice. uh, when I was eight years old and I had a bicycle reflector in between the two pickups. I don't even know if they were humbuckings. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I think... I think Pete Townsend actually inspired me to smash that on the floor, and then it just broke in half, and it wasn't very exciting. Uh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so did you learn anything before you broke it? I don't think I learned a single thing uh, uh, with the guitar because I uh, took a 
you know, I was more of a brass player back then. Sure. And so we all were in, uh, uh, I came from a family of four kids, and so we all played a brass instrument or a woodwind and basically, you know, drove our parents crazy. I don't know how. Sure. So, what, so I guess what was your next guitar after that, if you can remember? My first guitar that I traded my bicycle in for was a 64 SG. It was just a standard. Okay. And it was painted black, uh, probably stolen. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But it, it was a great guitar. So you got it at a pawn shop or something like that? or I, I got it at a music shop. Okay. And then uh, um, I took all the, the finish off it eventually, and then you know it was a burgundy uh, gotcha. um, SG underneath. Do you still have it? And then that one got stolen from oh, that me. that one got stolen from you. <laughs> yeah. Stolen back karma. by the guy that, yeah. yeah could have been the very same. Hey, awesome. this is my guitar. Yeah. I remember this. Do you, ever, do you ever wish you had that one back sometimes? I mean, part of it's probably just from the age of that guitar. It's probably worth a few bucks by now, you know, but. I have thought about it from time to time, and, and uh, I've tried to replace it. And what I realized that is that the, um, the you know, stability is a real uh, quintessential thing for my playing. And so. The SGs never were very stable, especially back in the day. Uh, the, you can never like keep it in tune when you played a knee uh, in first position. And so, so hey, I, bought, I, I thought, hey, I'll buy a 2011, and th- this will be great. And then I bought that, and it was really, really uh, sturdy, but just didn't have the tone that I was looking yeah, for. Yeah, that's always tough. Kind of sad, you know. Every time I think when I look at guitars online, every time I just see the picture and I don't see the price, every time I really am interested in the picture and the vibe of the guitar, I look at the price and I'm like, yeah, I can't afford it. You know, it's like, it all, it's like this weird, yeah, I wish there was like some cheaper guitars that looked the part and felt the part, but sometimes there is, sometimes they're not. You can get lucky every once in a while. Yeah, that's... So after the SG, then you kind of, that's when you started really playing guitar a little bit more, kind of getting into music, yes. music a little bit more? Yeah, I think it was... Um... Yeah, for me, I'm a little little older fellow, and so it was, uh, it was actually Chicago and Terry Kath. Uh, when I was playing the trombone, uh, uh, Pacno was the, uh, was the uh, trombone player in Chicago, and so he, he inspired me. But then as I listened to their records and learned his parts, it was the guitar that was really compelling for me. So, and then I quickly realized that, hey, you can't play a single chord on, on a uh, brass instrument. Maybe I should be looking at some other instrument. And so I, I think I played bass for a little bit and then, uh, and then played guitar. Okay. So being that you're the, the amp guy, maybe I should just ask you what your first amp was. My first amp was a solid state Sun Solo 2. It was horribly clean. It was, <laughs> it was Sun's answer to a twin, I think. Okay, yeah. okay. Had headroom for days, it obviously. Head, headroom for days. And what, what what we did back then is that I took my sister's cassette player and put in record pause and then turned the gain all the way up on there and so I had solid state distortion or overdrive into a very, very clean amp. And nice. That's how we made distortion back then. That's awesome. It was horrible. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's a new pedal idea that you could release at some point, right? Well, as it turns out, um, one of my heroes, R- Richie Blackmore, did exactly the same thing with an Iowa it turns out, tape player um, in front of his Marshall rig out throughout the 70s. Huh, I've never yeah. heard anything like that. I'd have to... So I really wasn't an innovator. I was just doing exactly what he did. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. That sounds, that sounds slightly intriguing, I think, just because <laughs> it's so different than anything else I've 
I've heard effect-wise. Well, and then um, pedal companies come out what they, you know, the first one I saw was the EP booster, mm-hmm. which is the preamp for the Echoplex. So other people were doing the same thing with the Echoplex as well. And so people kind of zeroed in on that solid-state preamp. Some of the Echoplexes were too, but I think it is the solid-state one that people... Well, I'd like to transition into some amp discussion. I think there's a lot a lot of ways we could go. It's going to be fairly a free-form conversation. I do have some questions I'd like to ask you just about amps in general. Um, so a lot of it is curiosity stuff, you know, from my end. Um, some of the amps that you know that we have here in the shop and, and amps that you've made, and just kind of kind of what, what makes certain amps unique and what makes certain amps, you know, maybe not as desirable, things like that. So are you ready? Sure. Okay. So, so this is the broadest question I could possibly think of. Um, but what what are some elements that make a good amp? Is it is it recipe? Is it like all components? Is it you know? This is a very like I said a very broad question. But I think about different amps and and like why are some so inspiring and some are just kind of dead sounding. If that makes sense. It does. Um, and there's. There's classes of amps that maybe people don't really understand. They hear they hear the word class A and class A B, and and uh, they don't really understand technically how those work. But but really the 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 most transparent amp you can find would be the class A amp. Like a Fender Champ is a good example where where there isn't you you play through one preamp tube into a power tube that's on full-time into the speaker, basically, is what you have. It's, it's the very cleanest signal path you can get. So the Class A, that's what the Class A refers to, for those who don't know, is like how do you, what determines it's a Class A amp, basically? Well, it, it, it gets into a little bit of a technical explanation because of uh, the Class AB amps have what they call a phase inverter. So at some point in the signal chain, you have at least two output tubes and before that you have what is called a phase inverter and so when you send one signal to the phase inverter it splits that signal in into a signal that uh, a two-part signal one is 180 degrees out of phase of the other and that sends it to the preamp tube the power amp tube sorry where that amplifies it into the power transformer output transformer <laughs> and then to the speaker and so it is uh the phase inverter and the uh the phase uh cancellation that that gives a unique quality to the the ab amps that the class a amps don't have but with the the class ab amps you can get um, much higher outputs you can go with two output tubes you can go with four output tubes you can go with six output tubes where the class a's you pretty much have just your your one, maybe a second parallel to output tube. So you're kind of limited to maybe maybe you can get to 20 watts in 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 the most brilliantly designed class A. Gotcha. Amp. Gotcha. So so when it comes to, I mean, I think about all the different flavors of amps there is. There's you know there's like the clean, big glassy Fender sound. There's the Marshall. There's the silver tones, you know, all this stuff kind of in this broad range, um, which is good because I think there's so many different players. You know, me personally, I just like the big Fender clean sound with pedals, but other guys, you know, need an amp that does everything or they want an amp on the edge of breakup. But even 
I guess even continuing that conversation, like within each of those categories, I feel like, you know, there's some amps that just sound, the cleans sound better. You know, I've, I've, there's been some amps that are more known for their distortion. And when they try to do a clean channel, it just doesn't sound quite right. And so I guess my, my curiosity is like, why is that? You know, like for me as like a designer of a music product, I think, you know, why, why can't you have, why can't you have both? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I, I guess it, you know, I think you kind of hinted a little bit to components, but, um, you know, changing the quality of their components and, and obviously everyone, you know, the hand wired versus PCB debate and all that stuff. I mean, we could go, like I said, right. we could go sure. a million directions, right. but, um, so like the classic, you know, classic amps that we hear on recordings, the deluxe reverb, like you mentioned, what are things that make those amps so special? I have to say, with the deluxe reverb, it is the way the gain stages are um, cascade into each other, and they have a very careful biasing of you know each preamp tube into um, into each other, so that um, not too much gain uh, early on so that you don't get early distortion, which is what uh, makes the fenders sound like fenders. Um, although you can, turn them, you can turn them up and get distortion, fenders aren't really known for their distortion. You, you, you think of fenders more in terms of uh, breaking up beautifully at six or eight instead of um, a distortion or saying a Marshall, how it, you know, it's just beautifully distorted when you turn it up at seven or eight. It's a, it's a whole different yeah, so just different stuff under the hood, essentially. Right, and so the, the Marshalls, instead of wiring their preamps um, cold, like, uh, like Fender did, they wire them very hot, and so the, they bring the signal in much hotter. Having to simplify. A yeah, bunch, no, but, that's fine. I appreciate your simplification but, of it. <laughs> but but by the time it gets to the power section, everything is determined, the, and the power section is uh, the flavor of the power section is pretty much determined by the actual tubes that you're using there, because you want that to be as efficient as possible to garner every ounce of wattage you can from the aperture. And so, so when you're looking through an, an old amp, do you take into account? Um, the, all the caps and resistors and things like that. So when you're trying to recreate an old sound, do you have any challenges trying to, like, you know, obviously find, I know there's sourcing issues and things like that, but, and there's a lot of modern versions of all the different capacitors and things like that. Do you, do you find that there's, like, a challenge going back to kind of recreating what was in that amp with newer components, or is it is it easier? Is it, you know? Well, it... it I think it's actually easier because there's so many people making, um, you know, vintage caps. Um, you know, if you want to go that route, someone wants to go uh, that route and have a completely vintage style amp with vintage, all vintage components that can have that. Um, as an engineer, I know that uh, only certain of the certain components in the amp are actually in the signal path. So those are the ones that I uh, make sure are chosen to be at the highest quality or be in the range um, of a vintage amp, not be in a tight uh, 
some of the vintage components have a have a 20% variation of their values and most of the newer components, you know, I brought that down to like 5%. And that kind of makes a big difference in the kind of the, the flavor of the amp too. So if you go too tight in your specification, you actually change the character of the amp. Sure. Or so when you see like these companies that are selling amps that are, are pretty expensive, do you feel like that some of that is just component costs and cab costs and speaker costs and all that stuff? Do you feel like that's part of the reason for the price differences if they're you know if they're quite a bit higher i guess i think that the uh yeah the cabinets and the finishing um and the speakers are some hard costs that are hard to get a, around i mean if you look at all the component costs in the amplifier they're not too much except for maybe the transformers themselves and they're we could get into um the cost of those and why some are more expensive than others, and what you gain from there. But, um, but so it, it's really about choosing logical components and trying to, trying to meet, meet a tonal price point. Um, and I'm all about uh, giving people value for what they're, the money they're putting in. I'm not throwing in vintage components because uh, uh, Leo did, because that's all he had then. Sure. So. So do you feel like, I mean, there's probably some stuff that at the end of the day in the signal path, it doesn't matter as far as if it's a vintage spec or a modern spec or anything. I mean, probably about three quarters of the components on a, a fender tag board are in the signal path. Well, if you look at the resistors, the metal oxide resistors are so much quieter than the, than the classic carbon composition resistors that if they're not in the signal path, why wouldn't you use those? You know, if they're 10 times quieter than the other resistor. Yeah. It's just like small choices like that, and they all and all of those add up to, to make it a nice, quiet amp. And someone turns it on. Yeah, I feel like, you know, I, I think of it in terms of, like, I'm trying to relate it to what I do in terms of capacitors and pots and pit guards and things like that, and you'll find some import ones even that have a smooth taper and they sound really nice and that then it's inconsistent between the left and 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 then you find some more like more boutique options that you know are are more consistent which is helpful but sometimes they're five times the price just to buy you know this special capacitor or whatever and so like i think there's so many people that have got away with (laughs) Using what would what some people would consider subpar stuff, but then like you think about you know what's in in the amps of all those classic recordings, they're not you know it's not really special components. It just happened to be you know the magic formula of everything in one you know in one box kind of thing. That really is the uh, the art um, to the amp building, putting the right components in the right places. And then yeah. Kind of so do you think with um, like a lot of these companies now have sort of like their their imports and their budget amps and PCBs and all that stuff. Do you think with with that, I mean, obviously they're saving money by going PCB and mounting a lot of stuff to that. Um, but a lot of people would agree that that the sound, the end result sound, is still missing something. Do you know? Do you have like a thought of why that would be? I know it's not the case in every. Like I played some import amps that are pretty good, but. And it, I have to look at, I have to think back and, and look at um, 
you know, some of the mo more robust PCB uh, amps that I've seen and some of the, like some of the earlier Mesa Mark uh, series, you'll find, a, you'll find a circuit board in there. You will find the tube socket soldered to that circuit board, but you'll also find thick, huge traces in there, a thick, robust board. The chassis is shock-mounted. Um, so, so they used those techniques, um, but they used safety factors with those techniques mechanically. And so that's what I find missing in the, in the new amps. Mm -hmm. They followed the same route by taking the um, uh, tube socket and soldering it to the circuit board, but then they have no means for shock mounting it. And so it's just a matter of time before the tubes fall out. In some cases I've seen um, the sockets become loose almost in a, every case because of the vibration. Asiamps from the 90s and 80s and tube sockets are tight. You know, everything is where it should be. And so it's all about um, attention to detail, I think, that uh, everyone can agree. Every repairman out there has ever opened up a Asiamp <laughs> can the testament to that and then open up, a, open up a late 70s Fender and then kind of compare them to each other. And sure, yeah, there's, sure. there's absolutely no comparison. Yeah, that's awesome. I think that's... It's really interesting to think about that in terms of the all the components and how they're mounted and how the, the structure of the amp is because most people, you know, I've heard a lot of people that are into the digital stuff now where they're just like, well, my amp just wasn't reliable, but they want, you know, they want a 70s silver face fender, but it keeps dying on them, you know, throughout the every gig. And so I think that's that's cool. Like kind of what you do is like a lot of people could, could get those old amps, they could send them to you and have you kind of reinforce the guts, essentially, uh, because that's, um, you know, you get the sound and the magic that you want out of an amp, but but it's kind of like rebuilt from the inside or re-inspired on the inside. And uh, I'd like to ask you a little bit about speaker changes. I know there's so many ways we could go, but I've been really curious about speaker change stuff. Um, I've probably just always was a combo guy for a long time. Just always had a combo amp, and I was always kind of like, yeah, whatever's in there is just what I'm going to play. And then we started getting more shop amps and heads and cabs and things like that. And, it, and probably within the last, like, I don't know, about like, like seven to ten years ago, I really started getting into the head and the cab kind of thing. And, and so I had really never considered speaker changes. I knew a bunch of friends who were like, oh, I tried this speaker and that speaker. So maybe talk about kind of the the philosophy behind choosing the right speaker for the right amp. Um, I know that for for me going from a ceramic speaker to an Alnico speaker, I could hear it, and I understand that change being a pickup guy using those magnets in a pickup voicing, and now hearing them in a speaker. I'm like, oh, that's a really sweeter response, or this is a tighter response. And so so talk about kind of speaker selection. I know I'm giving you another broad talk topic, but say that you're, you have an artist that wants a certain sound. How do you go about choosing your speaker for the design that you know internally? It's a great question because you can only voice the amp so far before you realize that the speaker is now your enemy. And when you're reaching for that sound that that person is looking for, the speaker's right, right in there. It's not necessarily the first um, pick for me because I'll, I have some reference speakers that I use with every amp I build. And so I know what the amp sounds like in terms of that speaker. 
and I, but then from there, then I have to think in terms of the artist and what um, sound he's making. Is it, a, is it a clean sound? Does he want it to spank? Does he want his distortion to be smooth? I think with guitar, the most important thing, and you can, you can, you can look at the spec and see this on the frequency curve, but uh, how is the mid-range treated? How is that upper mid-range treated? Is it, uh, is it down like a Celestian? Does it have a peak like a, uh, say, a, a Fender Princeton, a 10-inch eminence or a Jensen? And th those will make a tremendous difference in your sound, the way that uh, your pickup sound, the way your guitar sounds. Uh, with the 10s, you'll, you'll have that crispness, maybe that all of a sudden you turn on your distortion pedal and it just sounds fizzy. Whereas if you have a, 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 a Celestian, which is a, a bit darker, Speaker maybe takes a little more energy to move the voice coil. That speaker is going to be respond less. The frequency response it does not have the peak. You can have a little darker sound. The distortion is probably going to be more more pleasurable. Is what I found. Gotcha. Okay. So when you you said you mentioned you have a couple speakers, are they kind of like more of a neutral sounding speaker, I, kind of not too high, not too low, not too bright? Kind of. Is that how you describe your reference speakers? Well, I have one that it, that I've had forever. Um, so it is basically a um, Celestian, what is it, a C80? Sorry, it's a 80 watts. It's a C1280 is what it is. So I've had that forever, and I've, I've played it through almost every amp. It's been in my deluxe. It's been in every amp, and so I, I know exactly what that sounds like, how it Then I also have a, a five-inch uh, Jensen that I have in a pig nose, um, super fast. Also reference uh, the amps too, so I, that, that'll, that's what's chirpy, and so I can hear the fret high frequency range on that, and then I can hear the girth on this other one, and I go between, based on the amps character. Um, the Dumble amps have a lot of mid-range. Fender amps without a mid control are really scooped. They're almost the opposite of the dumbbell. And so if you have a Fender choice speaker in a dumbbell style amp, your mid-range will be out of control. So you want a, you want a speaker in there that, that has a uh, kind of a mid-range scoop because you're going to have lots of mid-range um, in there. Not, that's not even considering... Magnets. Yeah. That's not yeah. an open, closed back. <laughs> I, I just from the very. We basic. should probably have like a whole another show that covers all the other, all those other topics because we could, like I said, we could go for a long time here. Uh, I'd like to actually kind of move into some of the, like I have the old. We call it the ugly duckling. I have a seventy-two trainer YSR one in the shop, and most of you have seen it on Instagram or social media. Some of our videos and. Um, that amp just has some magic to it, and um, I know that you recently bought a trainer that was kind of, I don't know if it was the same year or if it was a couple years older or something like that. What years? years? We haven't exactly, uh, I think it's a 73. Okay. Not sure if it's what well, year <laughs> The same model, though, YSR1, right? Exactly the same okay. model, yeah. Yeah, so what's interesting is I, it's one of those things where like people will come into the shop and they'll see this thing, and they're like, man, that's the ugliest amp in the world. And they plug it in, they're like, that sounds amazing. And, and I, I think 
man, I, I'm so glad that I didn't spend, you know, $4,000 on an amp because this thing sounds really good, even though there's other expensive amps that, of course, that I really like. Um, so that's, that's what kind of inspired one of my earlier questions is like, you know, what, what makes that thing sound just so, so good and so appealing to almost anyone who plugs it in? I mean, you've gone through it. So like kind of back to that earlier question, specifically referencing that amp is, is, um, you know, what makes those cleans so inspiring? They're not too muddy. They're not too bright. It's kind of like a, you know, is it the EL34s? Is it, you know, like kind of, uh, without maybe giving away any secrets, I guess, or you could tell me, yeah, kind of just tell me the internals that make that thing shine. Well, first of all, it has a, um, solid state rectifier and, and, uh, two EL34 tubes in the power section. So that makes it, um, that makes it very Marshall-y. That is the typical Marshall power section, straight up. And then the the preamp, um, in your case, it, it has been modified to sound more like a Marshall, but with a Fender tone stack. So that's what kind of makes the gives you your Fender cleans. Mm-hmm. But but it, there's something different about the power section. That's not that's not Fender, and so I think it's the marriage between those two that makes that amp so unique. Yeah, because I know that like, it's kind of was told to me it's more of tweed basement kind of vibe, but but I also feel like it's not, it doesn't have the big boominess of a typical basement. It's a little clearer, but it's not thin sounding at the same time. So it's kind of a, I feel like it sits in this territory that I haven't really experienced before, and I. I enjoy it quite a bit. There goes my microphone. Sorry about that. It has the uh, yeah. It has the classic Marshall um, Marshall power section, and I think uh, I, I don't think people appreciate the Marshall power sections clean, uh, sparkling clean because it's always married married with a Marshall preamp. Where, where I was describing earlier, where the the bias is set hotter on the preamp tube, so it's it's a different sound than. If the bias is set lower on the preamp tube, then you get a cleaner throughput. It doesn't have a master volume, so in order for it to get it to break up, you just have to turn that thing turn way up. up. Yeah, it's just gorgeous. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so kind of along along the topic of that, and we've we've touched on some different um, ranges of price in amps. What do you feel like are some underrated amps? Not necessarily cheap amps, but some underrated amps that are out there that people could. Could kind of look for that maybe maybe they aren't quite as mainstream as some other amps but just just that you found in your years of going through all these different amps has there been anyth- anything else that's really kind of surprised you you know lately uh the thing that's really surprised me has been um the b52 at100 um it's available in a combo uh, and it's available as a head but uh you know it weighs about 60 pounds it's very heavy but it has um, that balance that you were talking about earlier that other amps don't have. It has a great clean side, and then it has two other uh, um, distortion sides that are, boy, every bit is a gain you'd ever want. I mean, this is a uh, kind of designed after a Marshall and a 5150, kind of married both of those uh, amps, but, but it sounds more like a Marshall. 
a little fizzy. So if you take a uh, an MXR10 band and put it in the EQ, uh, put it in the effects loop, um, you can basically do do anything with that thing. And uh, you can find them. Um, you can find them really cheap out there. There's a couple of mods you can do, but that, that's, a, that's a sleeper amp out there. So if you had, let's do just a quick uh, rapid fire question here for, for amps. So if someone was just getting into guitar, they were really excited about it, they were looking for their first tube amp, but they only had under $1,000 to spend, what would, you, what would you recommend they buy? Well, I'd have to... I'd have to ask them what stage of playing are they are they in their bedroom? Is it a bedroom amp or are they going to want to gig with it? Sure. That would be the first question. But I would probably, um, I'd probably uh, point them towards a champ to start for a bedroom amp, and then a deluxe for the uh, for a gigging amp to start with. That wouldn't work in a metal situation. Sure. If you're going to do a metal situation, I think you have a lot more. Yeah. But uh, probably if it, if you want a clean Fender amp, that's that's the two choices that you should you should look for. So, so uh, kind of a little bit switching gears here with the the whole thing. I think I just saw one of the Dumble amps on Reverb for hundred thousand dollars plus or something silly like that. Um, what is it about those amps that I mean, is it just because they're so rare and we're dumb as musicians and we want to pay? stupid amounts for stuff like I, I've played several different Dumble type clones or Dumble inspired amps and they're definitely they definitely are really really amazing um, so why what is it about like the Dumble and kind of that whole mystique that makes it so desirable so um, the story that I get or, or that I've read um, is that uh, Alexander Dumble on a recording session, David Lindley and Jackson Brown were at the session. He brings in an, uh, his combo that he had built. David Lindley plays a slide through it and says, I'll buy that amp from you. And Dumble says, oh, great, I'll, I'll make you one. And he goes, no, I will buy that amp from you right now. I will buy that amp. And so he did buy that amp and then he recorded you know, redneck friend. He recorded hit after hit with these, uh, with, with this Dumble. And then that Dumble was also used with Bob Seeger's Silver Bullet Band. And, and then Robin Ford uh, picked it up to play blues with it. And so, so some huge people have played through these Dumbles over the years. And that, and that sound is, is really kind of etched into rock history. Uh, but we're not really, you know, before the song, they go. They don't say, "Well, hey, this is uh, this is Alexander Dumble's amp here." You have to, you have to hear the quality of it, and it's mainly its distorted sound that I that I hear to be the, the most signature. That's what that's the quality you'll hear in Robin Ford's playing that, that you can't quite pick up. Larry Carlton also is using them now as well. And he's using blues and that's kind of the. In, in blues, that is the pinnacle that people are trying to, to chase, I think, and th those people are always cited, those two people. Yeah, so it's just kind of, uh, I mean, partly it's just got that inspiration from people hearing the records and they're like, man, what does he play? And then they find out what he plays and 
there's not that many of those amps out, and it, that's kind of created the whole I, I think, storm, I guess. I think there's only 300 that he's made. Wow. Yeah. And, and, and can't speak to it anymore, whether he's still making them or... Interesting man. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. So when you when you uh, made your Dumble inspired amp, um, how did you go about finding out about what's inside that amp? Did you, is there schematics out there? Is there? I mean, I'm sure there's tons of like forum chatter and there's like gut shots and things like that. I mean, where did you even start to come up with something that was kind of inspired by that? Pretty much all of the above. I mean, I. I uh spent hours, days, weeks on the internet and collecting uh, gut shots, um, schematics of different versions of, um, of the Dumble, and then trying to think outside the box and say, what, uh, what Dumble w- would I want to make that would be the most versatile for... Um, actually, my, my playing it was kind of a personal... Um, I didn't put in... All the switching and, and things that, uh, that uh, is because I didn't find them to be useful. Um, I did put in some other mods that I did find to be useful, and then I made the output section uh, with the ability to to use a uh, DL34s. Yeah, that's awesome. I think uh, I think uh, you know we've played yours in the shop and it's definitely very inspiring amp and it's kind of like I know there's some people that kind of don't know the the, the legend of, of the Dumble amps and they've kind of just you know maybe skipped over it or maybe they're younger and they haven't kind of like experienced that and then they play that and they're like wow that sounds you know there's something cool going on under the hood there and uh, maybe it is partly I'm uh, thinking just out loud but maybe it's partly that that amp was was so different you know it wasn't all clean. It wasn't all distorted. It was kind of this cool new spongy overdrive kind of sound that was really inspiring, you know. And I think that's probably why, um, you know, part, partly why there's there's some popularity there. I think for sure. Well, Chris, I'd love to ask you for uh, for those who'd like to find more information, kind of about you and about your company. Um, why don't you share your website and maybe some of your social media links? Um, for us, and then we we can uh, also place some of those into our podcast extra page um, on the website, so people can kind of find a link to your site. Great, I am uh, Idaho Flyer Amps on Instagram. Uh, you will also find me on Facebook under Idaho Flyer Musical Instruments, and my website is IdahoFlyer.us. Cool. Great. Well, thanks for coming on the show. I think as we. <laughs> talk through these amp things. I think we're going to have to have you on again in the, in a month or two just to kind of continue some of the conversation. I'd that'd, love to... That'd be great. I'd yeah. love to get into cabs. I'd love to get into all that stuff because I think, um, you know, I probably represent a lot of our listeners in that, like, we're into gear and we really like swapping things out and doing all these fun things. But But sometimes we don't understand the technical parts of it. And I feel like, in a way, like, it would probably save us a lot of money if we really understood more about a speaker change rather than just, you know, because as guitarists we're horrible about buying stuff and then just flipping it and kind of moving on. And and lately I've just, you know, partly it's financial, but partly is like, you know, we have this showroom of stuff and it's like I need to find something that has a certain flavor 
when I want to do a P90 demo or when I, when I want to do this kind of demo. And so I think it's really like understanding, you know, understanding the rest of your signal chain, probably from you as an amp guy, you want to know what kind of guitar they're playing and what kind of music style they're playing. And then your amp, you'll probably tell them no on a certain design because they're not telling you, they're not giving you the information that means, yeah, I would like this amp actually instead of this, you know? And so that's, that's the fascinating part to me. And I'm I shaking think, my head. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's the fascinating part to me, I think, cause you can, you can, um, probably save a lot of money with just a little bit of knowledge, you know, about those different topics. And so, um, yeah, I appreciate having you on today. Um, it was a blast. Yeah, we'll do it again soon. And uh, thanks again for joining us. Thank you. All right, so we'll, that was our conversation with Chris uh, from Idaho Flyer Amps. And we'll, we'll definitely have him on the show again and look for some links to his websites and social media on the podcast extra page. You can go to the community tab at porterpickups.com and you'll see the link there as well as the show. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and rate the show as well. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.